Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. It is so good to hear voices a little more loudly and clearly this morning. It's wonderful to be able to share in that together. One of the things I didn't mention during our announcement time was uh, it's getting full in here. And so your uh, first class legroom might uh, have to disappear over the next couple of weeks here. So just want to, you know, prepare everybody mentally for that. You've had lots of room to stretch out over the last couple of years, but we might have to take that away. I don't think that's a bad thing because it means, you know, people are coming and and engaging with, you know, I think we all want that. I think that's good, right? Are we going to be okay? Are you going to be okay? Okay. I had a couple of people say they missed the chairs being a little closer because they would pull on it to stand up. So, you know, (laughs) silver linings, right? Works out good. So we'll get them close enough that everybody can have a little bit of leverage there. But uh, we are very, very excited just to see what God is doing here and just the ways that uh, He is caring for people and the lives that are being touched and transformed by the community and the ministry here. And so it's, it's a wonderful thing uh, to be able to share uh, together in that and just see what God is doing. Uh, but turn with me this morning to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. This is a biggie. There's so many good things in this chapter. Uh, We're continuing in our journey through the book of John and looking at the bigger question of what the gospel really is, what Jesus really means for us and how it should affect our lives, what Jesus has done for us and how we're meant to live in the light and the reality of the gospel. It's not just an idea, it's real life, it's, it's, it's real relationship, it's real transformation, it's real mission and sacrifice and hope. We need to understand and see what Jesus has done for us so we can live in the gospel in a world that so desperately needs it. But we're coming today to John chapter 10 and it's kind of coming to the end of a section of the book of John where Jesus has been wrestling with the religious leaders of Israel, the Pharisees and the the rabbis and the scribes and the leaders of the people. And John kind of breaks the gospel of John into two halves. In the first half, John 1 to 11, it's it's about the life and the ministry of Jesus and, and starting really from eternity, but from the incarnation and through the different miracles and teachings that he does. And then the whole second half, John 12 to 21, is entirely about the last week of Jesus' life. From the triumphal entry to the resurrection. John spends half of his gospel on that Week And it's going to be amazing as we walk through that together, as we study through those chapters, what John clearly felt was most important. The things that Jesus said and did in that week had such a dramatic impact on this man. And he wants us to see in as much detail as he can Share with us who Jesus really is, what he saw and heard and felt in that week with Jesus. But in this first half of the book, again, John is exploring kind of the whole breadth of the life and ministry of Jesus. And there's all kinds of fascinating things that he structures within this book. Uh, All of the books of the Bible have really fascinating structures and pieces, the way they're organized. But John is so intentional 
and the stories that he chooses to share with us. And later in the book of John, he says, if we said everything that Jesus said, we would fill libraries and we wouldn't be able to contain all the things that Jesus said and did. But he's chosen these things specifically. There are seven I am statements in the book of John. There are seven miracles or signs that are recorded. John doesn't include any parables in the book of John, which was such a big deal in the other, in the other Gospels. Parables were a huge part of Jesus' teaching, but he focuses on other things. And it's such care and detail in the writing and construction of this Gospel. Every aspect is meant to communicate huge things about who Jesus is to us. John's only point in this whole book is to try to convince us, whoever reads it, to show us that Jesus is God. Everything he includes is meant to serve that purpose. He wants us to see and know what he has come to understand about Jesus. He is not just sent from God, he is God himself. That's such a crazy concept. Jesus is God. We've become so comfortable with it. It's been part of church and theology and tradition for 2,000 years. And it's true. It's so important. But we really need to understand how difficult it was for those people and really for us today to accept that. It's a huge challenge. And we see that in this part of his book, in these chapters. Again, it opens with four chapters of just kind of introducing Jesus and his ministry and a couple of miracles and kind of setting the stage for who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And then John spends this time in the middle here, chapters 5 to 10 and 11, really focusing on the debate that Jesus is having with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time. The wrestling that he is doing with them. Is Jesus really the Messiah? And even more, is he God himself? And for six chapters, we keep coming back to that question over and over and over again through teachings and ideas that Jesus is sharing and ways that he's challenging them and healings. The healing at the pool. Is Jesus the Messiah? Feeding the 5,000 and walking on water. Is Jesus the Messiah? More teaching and then healing this man born blind. Who is this man? Who could he be? Is he the Messiah? And they're angry. And they're confused. And they're afraid. His teachings and miracles are calling into question Everything that they are and that they believe about themselves. And so he heals this man born blind, proving again his power and authority. And he reveals to these leaders their spiritual blindness that they've been leading people astray, leading people away from their God. At the end of chapter 9, Jesus calls out their hypocrisy and their blindness. They ask him, what, are we blind too? And he says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim to see, your guilt remains. 
Jesus reveals to them their true problem, their delusion, their arrogance. The thing that is truly preventing them from seeing God, from relationship with their Father. And he tries to show them the way out of their blindness. Let's continue reading in John chapter 10. Jesus continues, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not a part of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from the Father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to Him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The authority in these words, the confidence, no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. What would it have been like standing there hearing him say these things? What would that have felt like? 
No one had ever spoken like this before. And we see it over and over again how people are so overcome when he says things. Who is this man? Have you spent time with him? What have you seen? What has Jesus shown you about himself? And you can see the tension. They call him demon-possessed, raving mad, but they cannot deny what he's done. And these teachings are not the ramblings of a madman. Who is this man? And in this teaching, Jesus reveals to us two things that are key to understanding, to relationship with him to finding truth and wholeness. The gate and the good shepherd. The way and the way maker. The path and the guide. Jesus begins his reply to them with a caution. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate is a thief and a robber. He's trying to help them see what the kingdom was truly about. See, that's the issue that's at the front of this whole problem that the Pharisees faced, is that they thought they were in. They, they were God's chosen people, certainly. But they misunderstood the kingdom of God. They didn't know what God was building, what He was doing. It's not an earthly kingdom, an earthly nation. Everything they understood was the nation of Israel, physical land, and the throne of David in Jerusalem. That was their hope. That was their mission. That was their direction. And here, Jesus is telling them that they weren't even in the pen. The whole time they had been on the edges... Close, for sure. God had brought them close with the law and the sacrificial system. He had revealed Himself to them in important ways so that they could be a light in the world, leading people to God as well. Showing the world who He was. But they weren't in the kingdom. The presence of God had yet to be revealed. There was more. God was offering more, deeper relationship, deeper fulfillment, wholeness, life to the fullest. As someone said one time. And for years, decades, centuries even, the Pharisees had been building their own path into the kingdom. If they just controlled the law and the people well enough. If they were just righteous enough, then they could get in. Or maybe it was political power and wrangling like the Sadducees were doing. Playing the game of earthly politics. Trying to build the nation of Israel in that way Maybe that was the path into the kingdom of God, over the fence. 
Or maybe it was rebellion and revolution like the zealots were trying to do, overthrowing the evil government and bringing in this new earthly kingdom. Maybe that was the way into the kingdom of God. And all of these people would have been standing there listening to Jesus. All of them had their own ideas of what it meant to please God, to be in relationship with Him, to be okay. How to get in. And Jesus is responding to the Pharisees directly here, but He's talking to all of them who would have been standing there. All of these groups with their own assumptions and goals. He's turning it all on its head. He's once again flipping the table. All of our ideas as to how to please God on our own. And build His kingdom in our image. As we still so often try to do. Even when we're followers of Jesus, we get sucked into legalism or other ways to try to be okay, to control things. And Jesus is throwing all of that out the window and calling us back to deeper humility and submission and purpose, a deeper relationship and a simpler life. Life with Him. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. He is it. Because He is God. That was the thing that was so hard for them to understand and accept. And it's no less difficult for us today. The path to salvation and relationship with God, to forgiveness and all the freedom that we want is not an idea or a philosophy or a religion or teachings or behavior or sacrifice. It's a person. Relationship with a person. We want the gate to be a ritual. Some idea, something that we can control, that we can do and then be fine. And it isn't. It's a person. A person that we can know, that we can talk to, that we can walk with. A person that we must submit to. And that's the issue. That's the struggle. That's what we don't want to do. A ritual we can control. Religion we can control. We can be in charge. We can do the steps, the sacrifices, the good behavior, the denying ourselves certain things. All of this stuff we can control to make us feel good. And it's all the stuff the Pharisees were consumed by. But submission, that was something they couldn't handle. 
It's something our hearts rebel against. We don't want to submit. We don't like giving up control. It runs against everything our sinful hearts desire, and it's the one thing we have to do. Because He is the gate. From beginning to end, it's about Him. Submission to Him. Relationship with Him. Following Him. Trusting Him. Allowing Him to save us. To give us life. We cannot find life anywhere other than Him. We cannot find joy anywhere other than in Him. We cannot find purpose or hope or fulfillment anywhere other than Him. He is it. He gives us life. And He gives life to everything around us. Our marriages, our work, our children, our friendships, relationships, everything. Jesus is the gate, the way to new life and the only way we can be saved. Our world doesn't like that. How can there be only one way? That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. There's lots of good ideas out there. Good people. Other religions, philosophies, ideas. How can you say there's only one way? It's so restrictive. It's oppressive, really. Who do you think you are? But it's true. And it's true because we can't be good enough and somehow we even know that. God told us that all our righteousness is like filthy rags and we even know that to be true when we're really honest with ourselves. No matter how good we pretend we are, we know we're not good enough. No matter how good we think we are compared to whoever we choose to compare ourselves to, we know we're not good enough and we know we can't be. We know the darkness in our hearts in those quiet times where we're really honest with ourselves. We know we don't deserve to be with God and we know we'll never get to Him on our own. We need a Savior. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as my father knows me and I know my father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life only to take it up again. Jesus is the gate and he is the shepherd. He is the way and he will lead us in the way. He is life and he will show us life. He doesn't just want us to be better. He wants us to be whole. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him and by His wounds we are healed. The Good Shepherd laid down His life for us. He has 
taken on himself the punishment we deserved and given us new life, abundant life, eternal life. He is the way. There is no other way and he is enough. And for the Pharisees, that wasn't good enough. They keep challenging him. They keep questioning him right after this. If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And again, he responds, I already told you. But you didn't believe. Again, they try to stone him. And again, he escapes and he leaves them. And now, they are truly lost. The things that are about to come, the decisions they are about to make. Without Him, they have nothing. He goes back across the Jordan River, back to where John had been baptizing, and more and more people came to believe in Him, but the Pharisees were lost. And as Jesus moves toward the cross, the Gospel of John shifts away from this debate that we've been having because there was nothing more to say. There was nothing more for them to see. You either accept Him or you don't. You either believe or you don't. He has shown us who He is. He has told us who He is. He has proven who He is. And you either submit and receive forgiveness and new life, or you don't. Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Acts 4, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. If you've never made that commitment, if you've never accepted that gift of life, if you need to submit again, if you've been wandering away and you need to come back to the gate, To let the shepherd guide you again. I'd invite you to come talk to myself or one of our elders. We would love to sit and talk with you. With any believer, they can share with you the hope and love of Jesus and help lead you to that shepherd. Because Jesus is good. He is gentle and gracious. He is loving and kind. And He is enough. He is life itself and offers us life, new life, abundant life, and He wants that for you. Jesus is the way. He is the only way. He is the gate, the way to God, and He is the good shepherd leading us home. This morning we're celebrating communion.
And it's an opportunity for us to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, the things that he has done for us. The blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. As we take this together, we invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus, we would invite you to come and take part. This isn't the table of LFC, this is the table of Christ. If you are a follower of his, we invite you to partake. If you are not, if you're not sure, we'd invite you to just refrain and allow us to walk through this, but consider and pray through what Jesus has done for you. The freedom that he offers, the forgiveness that he gives, and the life that he desires for you to step into. Again, this morning, we'd invite you to, if you're here as an individual, come on up. If you're here with friends or family, maybe send up someone on your behalf and they can gather the elements for you as a group. After you have them, you can go back to your chairs. You can pray as you feel led and partake as you feel led. But use this as an opportunity to resubmit, to recommit, to come before Jesus again, the gate and the good shepherd, and say, thank you. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we bow before you and we are just in awe of what you have done for us. We are so overwhelmed and humbled at the grace that you have shown us, the mercy that you have extended, and the salvation that you give us by the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you that he was willing to submit to you, our Father. He was willing to be born, that he lived an earthly life showing us what humanity was always meant to be, and then he was willing to die for us. That sacrifice that we could never be taking that punishment, we could never pay. And then far more to be raised again to life, conquering sin and death forever. Jesus, we praise you. We worship you. We thank you. We want to submit to you. And our sinful hearts struggle with that. But Jesus, we pray that you would break our hearts that you would lead us into this new and abundant life and that as you do, we would be a light to the people around us sharing this new life that you have for us. God, as we partake together of communion now, we thank you for the bread, the body of Jesus, the cup, the blood of Jesus. We ask that you would speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen.